Well, good Thursday morning, everybody. It's the 11th of November, Veterans Day. And my title today is A Warning Often Misunderstood, Hebrews 6. Now, listen, I know that these emails dealing with can someone lose their salvation or not may not be what you're looking for to help you in your recovery. But let me just do a couple more, and then we'll get back to working on the things you need to be working on. But for those of you who have been told you can lose your salvation and are living in fear, hopefully this message will help. The passage today is in Hebrews 6, and these are two passages that have been used for decades to scare people into believing that they can or have lost their salvation. Showing you how that is not true and that these passages do not contradict the well-established doctrine of our eternal security will be a little more challenging, but I hope you'll stick with me as I try to explain it so the Bible is not seeming to teach two different things that would be in opposition to each other. So let's start with Hebrews 6, 4 through 6. It says, quote, It is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gifts, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the coming age, and who have fallen away to be brought back to repentance. First, we need to know that the author is writing to Christians who were formerly Hebrews and members of the Jewish faith. The text is very clear that they are born-again believers who have been enlightened about the gospel, they've tasted the heavenly gift of salvation, and they've shared in experiencing the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the goodness of God's Word. I do not think that those things could be said about an unbeliever. And that all seems clear enough. But they have fallen away. It does not specifically tell us what they have fallen away from or fallen into, but apparently they've fallen away by some measure or actions, and therefore it's impossible for them to be brought back to repentance. So what does that mean? Does it mean that if someone who is a born-again believer stops going to church or have ceased to be involved with other believers or even recanted on their faith that they've lost their salvation? I think that if that was what the author intended to say, he would have said that. Instead, he says it is impossible for them to be brought back to repentance. Now, that can sound like if they fall away, there's no hope for them, and they have lost their salvation, but that's not what it says. So a crucial question we need to ask is, what does the author mean when he says, quote, brought back to repentance? I believe the best interpretation is to understand that he's saying that once you have started down the road of being a born-again believer— you cannot go back and start again. There is no do-over button in our life of faith. We do what we do, and we cannot erase 
the deeds we have done, but we are certainly not condemned by them because God knew everything that we would do before we became saved. A very important question we need to ask is, what is the problem the author is addressing with some of his readers? What is the issue moving him to write these words? And for that, we only have to look back into Hebrews 5, where this line of thought actually begins. Hebrews 5, verse 12 and following, quote, In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's Word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teachings about righteousness. His concern is not that they have wandered away or rejected their faith in Christ. His concern is that after becoming believers, they have remained infants, needing baby's milk instead of the prime rib they should be eating. They should be teachers by now, but they're not. Time has passed in their being a Christian, and they have not grown. They should be teachers, but instead, they're still babies in Christ. And so his point in chapter 6 is to warn them that they cannot start all over again. Time has passed, and they have not matured. So they need to start working from the point where they are, and they cannot go back to their initial repentance and start all over. And their lack of growth and maturity in the faith is already an established fact which makes their life as a believer seem to be ineffective in changing them. However, that is the reality that they are in, and they cannot go back and start over as if they were re-crucifying Jesus all over again. And their lack of growth is demonstrating to everyone that the finished work of Jesus has made no difference in their lives. Now notice the illustration he uses to make sure what he has written is clear. Quote, Land that drinks in the rain, often falling on it, and that produces a crop useful to those for whom it is farmed, receives the blessing of God. But land that produces thorns and thistles is worthless and is in danger of being cursed. In the end, it will be burned. That person whose life is producing a useful crop is going to be blessed by God. That's because that is what a land that has been seeded and watered is supposed to do. Normal growth in the Christian life. However, there's another type of field that doesn't produce anything of value. It only grows thorns and thistles. And these are the baby believers who still need milk. Their lives are not producing anything that God wants their crops to produce, and instead only grows thorns and thistles, which are worthless crops. That person who has had this time but has produced only thorn and thistles is in danger of being cursed. Notice it doesn't say they are cursed. 
but they're in danger of being cursed. And in the end, what their lives have produced, worthless weeds, those results will be burned up at the end of their lives. Which actually seems to be the same thing Paul is saying about what will happen to all our deeds when we are judged by God at the end of our lives. He writes to the Corinthians, and he tells them God's created in our lives the foundation of Christ on which we are supposed to build. If in walking out our Christianity, we do good works that glorify him, well, that's gold, silver, and precious stones being put on our foundation. However, if we're not living for Christ and just going about our lives, seeing how much we can acquire, well, those things just result in wood, hay, and stubble and are highly flammable. Our work as a believer and follower of Christ is going to be tested, and only what has had value will survive the testing of fire. And he writes, quote, If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, now listen carefully, but yet will be saved, even though only is one escaping through the flames. Likewise, the writer of Hebrews tells us that whatever our lives have produced that are worthless deeds, they'll all be destroyed. He says, quote, but land that produces thorns and thistles is worthless and is in danger of being cursed. In the end, it, what grows out of it, will be burned. You don't burn dirt, but you burn or keep what the field has produced. It will be the results of our lives that have not demonstrated a crop glorifying God but a life of selfishness and pursuing our own desires instead of his purpose, that will produce nothing of eternal value. The results are burned, but that person is still saved. However, their life is demonstrating that being a believer is not much different than not being a believer. We'll go a little bit further on this tomorrow, and then I'll be done with this series. Please hang with me. This is John Doyle with 180 Podcast. God bless you, my friends. Take care. And I hope you have a great day in the Lord today. Goodbye.